0: everyone, my name is Ryan Stacey and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by My Hockey Resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at InstatSport.com or on Twitter at InstatHockey. Today I'm joined by Mike McKenzie, head coach and general manager of the Kitchener Rangers. With experience as a player and a quick transition to hockey ops, Mike has endured a crash course in hockey operations and came out with a tremendous knowledge for the game and industry overall. The conversation brought about a lot of great hockey talk and also had some family ties throughout. So, without further ado, here is Mike McKenzie, head coach and general manager of the Kitchener Rangers. Today we're joined by Mike McKenzie, head coach and general manager with Kitchener Rangers. Mike, thanks for joining me on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan.
0: Yeah, it's, it's great to have you on
2: today. And we talked a little bit beforehand here about how Mike Salt was on uh, previously. And I had mentioned that his interview was very well received uh, with listeners. So hopefully we can uh, have another great interview here for the uh, Kitchener Rangers fans. Um, Maybe let's just dive right into uh, your early years and maybe talk about your upbringing, touch on where you're from, and then maybe playing sports, uh, you know, throughout your childhood.
1: Yeah, well, I grew up in Whitby, Ontario, um, and and sports and hockey specifically was a pretty big part of my life growing up. My my family was very uh, hockey, especially focused uh, job. And uh, he allowed me to To tag along with and do a lot of different events growing up which kind of shaped how how much i loved the game of hockey and and got into it at an early age so i started playing growing up right from from a young guy uh and ended up playing all the way through uh, in the whitby minor hockey system and uh moved on from there to play junior a hockey for four years in in what used to be called the opjhl but now is the ojhl and was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to go play at St. Lawrence university uh, where I played for four more years and, and got my degree and and got to play at a high level uh, of division one hockey. And then uh, got to play uh, two years of professional hockey uh, in the East coast league and American hockey league kind of up and down uh, and then decided at that point that it was, um, you know, time to call it a career and get into a different part of the game. But, uh, yeah, growing up, you know, hockey was a, a really uh, huge focus uh, for my family and myself, and uh, other sports too. Uh, me and my brother both played lacrosse as well growing up, so it was uh, it wasn't really a situation where we played hockey all year round and that was our main focus. It was it was you know when spring came and the last hockey game ended the skates went away and the hockey sticks went away and the, the lacrosse sticks came out the very next day, basically. And we'd play lacrosse all summer. and uh, wouldn't even think about hockey or, or do anything hockey related for the next, you know, four, four or five months. And then once uh, lacrosse ended, we'd get the skates and sticks, hockey sticks back out and start playing hockey. And that was kind of the cycle for, uh, you know, my, uh, my childhood growing up and, and playing sports.
2: Yeah, no, it's great to hear. And a lot of guests talk about the multiple sports that they played. And it's always good to hear, uh, you know, from scouting perspective now, when you hear kids talking about uh, the multiple sports they play. And sometimes it's to teach them different skills. And sometimes it's good just to take a break from hockey and focus on something else. And it rejuvenates your passion when you go back in. And I'm sure that was the way for you and your brother uh, when you'd go from lacrosse to hockey and vice versa. Uh, You referenced there some of the uh, career paths in, in the game as a player Uh, you know, going from junior to NCAA is one I'll touch on specifically here. Uh, Just talk about that process of kind of going to college hockey and being a student and an athlete at the same time. And uh, as many people know, you were a pretty good student uh, during that time as well. So maybe just talk about some of the, you know, things you had to worry about and and the task of maneuvering
1: through that time of your life. Yeah, it was a really uh, fun time looking back on it. Like, Everyone says, you know, at university and and college and, uh, you know, those are going to be kind of like the years you look back on when you get older and think like, wow, that was, that was fun. That was, you know, it was a a good time in my life. You know, you get to hang out with friends. You don't have a lot of worries. You have to play hockey. And and that was what it was like for me. It was, uh, it was awesome to get the opportunity to play at a high level um, and go to such a great school like St. Lawrence and I met a lot of really good friends there that I still keep in touch with today. Um, so from a social perspective, it was really good. Um, from a hockey perspective, it was really good. I really enjoyed playing there and was fairly successful. And from a educational standpoint, it was also very good. And I was able to graduate with my degree and um, you know learn a lot and, and take a lot of different courses since it was a liberal arts school. Um, so from all those different perspectives, you look back on it, it was really a a, a great time in your life. Um, and something that I look back on pretty fondly. And uh it was uh at first it was a little different blending the school and the hockey. Uh I had been out of school for I think two years at that point. I had, I graduated high school um and then taken two years to to play junior a hockey and I wasn't attending any school at that point so I kind of took two years off to really focus on hockey and try to get a scholarship um, and eventually was successful uh, but going from not doing any school to jumping back into full-time school at a U.S. university where you're kind of not sure what it's going to be like and you know you're you've been out of it for a couple of years and then now you're jumping into a completely different country's education system, you know, there was some uneasiness there a little bit. And I think uh, my dad, uh, he made sure uh, to give a little bit more background. I didn't receive a full scholarship. So I was on a three for four, which means um, you get the last three years paid for, but you have to pay for the first year uh, yourself. Um, so, you know, it's a it's a pretty sweet deal. But uh, when you look at how expensive a private, Uh, U.S. University is, it's quite a large chunk of money, especially with the exchange rate at that point. Um, And and I obviously didn't have that type of money to be paying it, so my parents fortunately were able to. Um, But I remember my dad sitting down and giving me a a talk before I went and said, just so you know, uh, know, I'm paying for this first year and it's a pretty big chunk of money, so you better not screw this up by failing out of school or doing anything on the academic side that you know, it screws up your eligibility or, or makes it so you, you know, you can't graduate or whatever. So I took that to heart. And uh, right away, I was I was pretty dialed in, in terms of the education stuff, uh, probably more out of fear uh, than actual wanting to do it. Um, and then uh, as it went along, you can kind of figure out, you know, how much uh, time you need to put into both areas and and make sure that you're successful in both areas, but that's uh, that's kind of how it all unfolded in the, the first little bit. Yeah, it sounds like a, a good
2: experience and a learning experience that I'm sure you carry, uh, you know, with you today, but uh, for a lot of people, you know, university is a struggle uh, even without playing sports, but, you know, fusing hockey into it as well, it's a, it's a challenge and you almost have to treat it like a, a full-time job and, and really work at it, and uh, you were successful in doing that so before we move into hockey operations, we'll touch on the uh, the other half of your career, you know, in the AHL and ECHL. Um, I've been fortunate enough to do some work in the ECHL and I've watched a lot of AHL over the years with the uh, St. John's teams here in my hometown. So maybe just talk about the experience of playing at those levels and kind of what you learned uh, during those few years.
1: Yeah, that was really a, a treat for me, to be honest. I, I you know, you grow up, You know, everyone wants to make it to the NHL, obviously, when you're growing up. And that was obviously my goal as well. But I wasn't a guy that was always so good that, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, I'm going to make it, you know, this, I'm going to get there at some point. So every step of the way for me, um, I was really appreciative and, and of that step, Um, you know, right from when I played minor hockey, I can remember my dad taking me to a junior A game and uh I think it was back when Wexford the Wexford Raiders had a team still to age myself a little bit but um and him kind of leaning over to me and watching the game and saying like do you think you can play at this level next year and I was you know I was like yeah I I think I could you know they're kind of they're pretty big it's pretty fast there's older guys there's guys four or five years older but I think I could do it and and you know the same thing with you know, junior moving to NCAA, like we went down to watch a game at St. Lawrence and, you know, he's, he leaned over and said you could play at this level in a year or two. And, you know, I'm like, well, yeah, I think I could. I mean, it's pretty fast though. The guys are pretty big. There's 44-year-old, 25-year-old guys out there. So, you know, and it's the same thing with pro. Like you're always looking ahead going like, you know, do you, th- you think you could do it? And it was never a slam dunk for me to play any kind of pro. So even when I got to the East Coast League and American League, uh, that was a a thrill for me uh, to know that I had made it to professional hockey and was, you know, in some cases, a step away from the the best league in the world, the NHL, uh, when I was playing the American League. So um, it was really cool. Um, You know, I learned a lot there. I learned pretty quickly that even though I was a step away uh, when I was playing in the AHL, um, that the step was still a big step. And uh, it, it's a lot dip, different being in a, a East coastly call up guy in the AHL to a guy that's like on the cusp of getting called up to the NHL. So uh, I, I realized really fairly quickly, you know, within a year or two that I probably wasn't going to make the NHL, even though I got to attend two training camps, which was, Really cool um, with the Carolina Hurricanes, so you know, for me, I looked at it and I had at that point I had a couple injuries too, and you um, I was kind of I was living out of a hotel. I didn't really have a home base. Um, you're making decent money, but it's not you know millions of dollars. So at that point, I decided made a tough decision like maybe I should get a head start on my next career instead of keep keeping slugging it out, you know and riding buses and and living in hotels and and all that stuff which is you know a really cool experience when you're younger but I looked at and I didn't really want to be 31 32 33 years old still doing that and then have to start my next career at that point when I'm already older I could have a family to support Um, you know all these things were kind of going through my head so um, you know the two years is really fun Um, and sure I could have kept playing I you know I would have, it would have been a great experience to, to keep playing and trying to play in the East Coast League or the American League or even go overseas to Europe and travel a little bit. But at that point, I just figured, you know what, if I can do this now and kind of rip the bandaid off, it might benefit me, uh, you know, a couple of years down the road to get a head start on some of this stuff. And so that was the decision I made at that point. And uh, I think looking back on it now, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate that I
2: did. Definitely. I think a lot of people, you know, sometimes you hear people struggle with that decision and, and not really sure when to do it. And um, a lot of times when people do eventually make that change, they don't really have a goal in mind, but you definitely had a vision of what you wanted to do and, and decide to look at moving into that next career. And, uh, you know, around 2012, you would start with the Kitchener Rangers as an assistant coach. Uh, just talk about how you found yourself in Kitchener and what that first experience was like behind the bench.
1: Well, it's a little bit of a weird story how it happened. Um, once I retired from from playing, I went back home to Whitby and, uh, you know, I was living with my parents and trying to kind of get my my next career on track. And I, I knew I definitely wanted to coach um, at that point. And I kind of set my sights on the Ontario Hockey League just because I was from Ontario. And I knew the league a little bit. And, you know, being from Ontario, that's kind of what you know. And, you know, I wasn't opposed to starting at lower levels either um you know whether it was junior a or junior b or or even minor hockey but i figured if i could you know try to somehow get into the ontario hockey league that would be a great place for me to start even if it was as a you know second or third assistant coach and just start kind of learning um and so i sent my resume out to to basically every team and you know most teams obviously have guys already and they're full so you know, you don't, you don't get opportunity. It's, it's not an easy thing to do to, to find jobs in our league or any league for that matter. But, um, Kitchener didn't have room at that point. Um, and Steve spot was the general manager and head coach at the time. Um, but they had a, a, a rookie spring camp that was coming up in a month or so. And he said, you know, we don't have a spot for you. Uh, as a coach um, but if you want to come to our our spring camp we usually bring in guest coaches to to kind of stand behind the bench usually younger guys that are kind of just getting involved just to give them a little bit of a taste so all the rest of the management and coaching staff can sit up top and get a a better view of the game and they don't have to actually coach the blue white games so uh, I was like okay that's great Um, you know that'd be a great opportunity just to Start out somewhere and learn, even if it was for free and it it led to nothing. So I was really excited about doing that. And then I found out it was on the uh, Victoria long weekend. Uh, And as everyone knows, that's a a big cottage weekend, especially for a guy that's 25 years old. You've got friends that are going up to cottages, and you know, it's going to be three days of having fun. Um, So I looked at it and I was like, "Well, you know, that's that sucks. Like I, I got to miss the either, I got to either miss the Kitchener camp or I either got to miss a cottage weekend with my buddies. Um, And so I thought about it and I kind of just said, you know what, like I got to go to Kitchener, Um, you know, even if it means I got to miss, miss a fun weekend. So I made that decision, even though it was like at the time, looking back on it, it was a hard decision, but now I'm looking back like thinking like, like, well, yeah, you're an idiot if you didn't go to Kitchener, but in the moment, um, you don't know where it's going to lead or you don't know where it's going to go. You think it might just be two or three days and then you're going to be sent on your way. So I ended up going to Kitchener. Um, I met Steve, spot and the assistant coaches and and everyone involved had a great weekend, a great time. They're really welcoming. And, uh, I learned a lot. And then a few weeks later, um, Steve called me and, and said, "Hey, I think we might look at bringing on a, another person to our staff this year. Uh, that was the year he was coaching the World Junior team, so he'd be gone for an extended amount of time uh, over Christmas. And then Troy Smith, the assistant coach, was coaching the under seventeen team um, as well, so he was going to be gone for an extended amount of time. So they, I think they figured, you know, it wouldn't be bad to have an extra guy helping out this year when we're gone um, with uh, with some stuff. So." um you know that was uh you know, you know I owe a lot of that to Steve for taking a chance on me at that time I, I had no coaching experience um I had obviously played at a fairly high level but um he obviously saw something in me and um at the camp and you know who knows if I didn't go to that camp where I'd be today because that was kind of the uh the starting point for how I ended up in Kitchener, um, and. You know, I went to Kitchener in, in the first year. I was the third assistant coach. So I wasn't on the bench. I was kind of the eye in the sky doing a lot of the the duties that, you know, no one really wanted, like booking travel, hotels, buses, making sure the meals were already on the road, things like that. So um, started very small, started with, you know, some of the grunt work and stuff that's not really all that glamorous, but uh, to end up in, in the OHL, but specifically a place like Kitchener was... was unbelievable experience for me, and um, I've been here ever since, so it's really worked out well. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to hear that you,
2: you know, made the right decision back then and, and didn't go to college. because as you said, who knows where you'd be now, and, um, you know, those are the sacrifices that people, uh, a lot of people don't, won't make early on in hockey and looking to get into the industry, but, you know, when you do make the right decision, it often pays off, and that's been the case for you and Kitchener, so, uh, you know, as you would go on, Uh, For a couple more years, you'd eventually add the title of assistant general manager. Um, Just talk about the added responsibility there and how your position kind of changed
1: with that role. That was an interesting uh, dynamic uh, because it wasn't really something I ever thought about, to be honest with you. Like when I was looking for jobs and I finished playing hockey, for me, it was all about coaching and it was coaching, coaching, coaching. I want to coach. That's my next career choice. And by getting involved in the coaching side, I naturally, with the way Kitchener was run and Steve being the, both the GM and the head coach, there was a lot of kind of shared effort in, uh, in scouting and making decisions um, on the management side because Steve is doing both jobs. So it, it kind of merged um, a little bit. It wasn't just the coaches sitting in one office and then, you know, a GM and his management crew sitting in another office. Um, It was very much a team effort. So I got to see a lot of that uh, behind the scenes and see how it operated. Um, I got to go out and scout a lot, um, which was for me, I didn't realize was going to be part of the job, but something that I really enjoyed. and, And very quickly I learned that that was, that was a passion of mine was scouting and evaluating players Um, So slowly and morphed a little bit, just kind of organically from coaching into a little bit more management stuff, a little bit more scouting. Um, And then, you know, there was a a fairly significant changes like Steve left after one season um, to go uh, coach pro. Um, Another one of our assistant coach left to go coach another team and things got kind of shuffled around um murray hebert became the gm when steve left who who was formerly the head scout um and and i had a pretty good relationship with murray and still do um and and now that he was the general manager um he you know let me tag along and go scouting and and kind of kept that team effort um going um and i'm thankful for him for that that he let me do a lot of stuff that maybe some guys wouldn't always let younger guys do um, and kind of learn on the fly. So um, I was really curious with a lot of that stuff. And uh, I I didn't have to do a lot of it, but I was really curious and it, it piqued my interest, I think. So I kind of naturally um, headed in that direction. And then, um, you know, like I said, it was more organic than actually, you know, thinking to something I really want to push for. I and mean, it just kind of happened, to be honest. So it was uh, it was kind of cool that way. And, uh, you know, I, I learned pretty quickly that management was probably more of a passion than coaching for me. And that was, you know, I kind of shifted career paths a little bit and, and focused more on the management side and obviously became the assistant GM and, and did both roles, assistant coach and assistant GM at the same time um, and kind of shared those, which was really really cool because you could kind of jump back and forth from working with the players, being on the ice, being on the bench, but then you could go scout games. You could go, you know, be involved in trade talks. You could, you could, you were seeing the whole organization function um, which I thought was really cool and kind of shaped the way I viewed everything. For sure. Um,
2: A lot of people who have kind of moved into management roles that we've had on the podcast have talked about early on, maybe looking at coaching or, maybe it was just scouting but once you get in there and you know you pick up this task and you help out in this area it really kind of morphs organically like you're saying into something more and that's what happened in Kitchener and you know today you're the general manager and the head coach so so after that time as assistant coach slash assistant general manager maybe just talk about the transition to first the general manager and now
1: recently picking up the head coach type well, yeah, it was, again, it was pretty natural of a progression and and I got lucky, like really lucky, to be honest, like there was so much um, shifting, I think, in, in people coming in and out of the organization that it allowed me to kind of move up within the organization a lot quicker than I thought. Um, and that a lot of other people can just, just by default, almost due to the fact that people were, were leaving for different opportunities. Um, and I was getting more work i was getting more involved and and you know shifting into the doing half management half coaching and then you know an opportunity came with murray deciding that he was gonna take a little bit of a step back um i don't think when murray was hired i don't think he he envisioned being there for 10 15 20 years um so again it was it was more luck and being in the right place at the right time than anything if if someone else had come in that that did you know, have a vision of staying there for 10 or 15 years, and who knows, you know, what happens with myself or or where your path goes. You know, when when someone else you know wants to stay in in a place for a longer period of time, you're you're obviously not going to have the the ability to move up into their position. So, um, yeah, right place, right time, a little bit of luck, and. Um, You know, being named the general manager was a a huge privilege and honor, um, especially in Kitchener. Uh, It's such a storied franchise. There's so much legacy here of of not only players, but uh, coaches and management. Just the, you know, the fan base and being a community owned team. Um, It's a really, really special place. Um, You know, I realized that really quickly when I got hired here and, I still realize it. And there's not a, a day that goes by where I don't pull into the office and think, wow, I'm really lucky to be here. Um, you know, just such a great group of people, um, great fan base and um, just such a classy organization. It always has been. So uh, yeah, it, it was a huge honor and privilege. And the coaching thing just kind of happened by accident. Um, you know, we obviously had to let go of our head coach and, and that was something that Um, definitely didn't plan on doing and didn't want to do and was really a a last resort um, to be honest with you and and our team was really struggling at that point and you know it's not often always as you know that you know it's not just the coach's fault Um, you know there's a lot of factors that go into losing games and having a team that's not you know winning hockey games and you know the coach usually is the one that ends up being the scapegoat a little bit. And so it wasn't something that uh, we planned on doing or we wanted to do. And it was definitely a last resort, but um, you know, last year um, kind of put myself into the fire a little bit and, uh, and jumped back into coaching. And I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than I thought I would, to be honest. Uh, And, you know, looking back on it, um we made the decision now moving forward that if we were playing this year right now we obviously aren't but if we were I would continue coaching this year and when we start back up I'm going to continue coaching um and you know whether or not it's a long-term solution um you know remains to be seen and we're just going to kind of take it year by year right now and see see what happens um know, obviously with COVID there's there's nothing really to coach right now so it doesn't really matter but Um, hopefully once things get back up and running um, we can continue kind of with the path we were on and the success we were having uh, pre-COVID. For sure and for you know for you uh,
2: being willing to take on those roles is very big and I'm sure the organization has faith in you and working as a general manager and a head coach and you know when a lot of people think of those roles uh, oftentimes with general managers they think the person in that position has to be a long-term thinker you know through the draft think about a couple years down the road and Head coaches, uh, you know, not all the time, but for a lot of the part, they're, you know, worried about the immediate success and helping that team succeed uh, game in and game out. For you working, you know, kind of in both of those roles, how do you balance that short-term versus long-term thinking and what's kind of your thought process
1: in that area? It can definitely be difficult, that's for sure. I I think it's been an interesting, um, it's been interesting to look back on how, you know, specifically the OHL has uh has evolved in terms of coaching and management and you know even 10-15 years ago you know there was a lot more guys doing both jobs and, and being able to to balance being a general manager and also being a head coach and then there was a shift at some point where it kind of became very unique to have that um you know dual responsibility and there just got to be so many tournaments, so much scouting, so much stuff on the management side, but also on the development side and coaching side, you know, you, you had to continue to evolve and do more on that side too. And it just, you know, I think for a lot of people, it got to be a lot and, you know, a lot of people looked at it and thought, you know, what I, I don't know if the right thing is for someone to hold both dual responsibilities, because can you really give hundred percent to both? Um, and the answer is probably no, you can't. Um, but if you have good people around you that you trust and, and are willing to, you know, do the right things and um, which I do. And thankfully I do with our assistant coaches and, and um, you know, you mentioned Mike Zolt and I've already mentioned Murray, you know, those are the two guys in the management side. Um, but our assistant coaches and goalie coaches and strength coaches um, we have a really great group around us um, that makes that able to function with with the double responsibilities and I think it's it's really interesting um, and exciting when you get to you know not only you know pick the players and decide who the players on on your team are going to be uh, when it comes to drafting and, and scouting and making trades or, or signing guys or whatever it may be and bringing players in to be Kitchener Rangers. But now you're getting to shape, you know, while they're a Kitchener Ranger, you're getting to shape how they play, how they improve, how they develop. And for me, that's super exciting because there's, there's a complete alignment there. Uh, and what I mean by alignment is, you know, when we pick a player and we, we sit down and, and go over what, what do we want in a kitchen Ranger player on the ice, off the ice, when we're, we're bringing guys into our team. Um, if the person that's going to be with them every day um, isn't going to align, you know, in the development portion or how practices are going to be or how the team is stylistically going to play, then it can be really f- frustrating and it can be you know a situation where in most cases it's probably not going to work very well if you have those that gap between um, the person who has the vision and is bringing in the people and then there's a gap um, between the person that's working with them every day um, and trying to improve them as hockey players and, and teaching them different things so I think that's the exciting part for me um, personally, and also the exciting part for our staff moving forward is I think we have a vision, and an alignment on a vision that you know we all believe in and we all trust, and uh, you know that I think for me that's the biggest positive I guess you could say of of holding both roles is um, you're able to do both of those and it's it's much more of a complete picture and you're getting to paint the whole picture. As opposed to just doing fifty percent of it, and uh, I think that's where some sometimes you can run into a little bit of trouble um, if you're not aligned. So yeah, it's definitely exciting.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point to make. Uh, you know, when people are or when two people are kind of working in that relationship, if you have a disconnect, you know, you can draft as well as you want, or you can be as good of a coach as you want. You know, without that connection uh, and the same philosophy, it's really not going to work in developing those players and. Uh, It's good that you have the support staff around you who kind of mimic uh, the way you think and uh, provide guidance where necessary and help that process along. Uh, So, you know, you do that on a day to day basis. And for you, you know, today, your job might not look the same as it did you know, this time last season with COVID and things like that. But maybe just walk us through a day in your role, maybe on a game day specifically, and just talk about some of the things that you have to deal
1: with. Yeah, it's definitely unique right now. It's uh, it's a lot less busy, and there's a lot more, you know, video scouting and things like that being done. Um, Zoom calls, video scouting, all all this stuff that we can do now um, that we weren't doing as much before, probably. Um, but yeah, a typical day for me is uh, is pretty busy. Like a game day, game day and practice days would differ a fair bit. Um, game days are a little more. Um, I'm, I, I enjoy getting up pretty early in the morning, uh, most days. And for me, the reason I do that is because it gives me, uh, time to myself. And, and usually what the reason I get up is so I can work out in the morning. And, um, for me, you know, that's, that's just as mental probably as it is physical. And obviously there's physical benefits of working out, but for me, it's, it's very mental, um, to be able to get up early, um, you know, start the day early and have an hour or a little bit, you know, more than an hour or whatever to myself, um, you know, get sweating, get moving. Um, it's a time when no one can call you and bother you um, usually or text you or it's it's a time where there's not, you know, there's not a lot of problems that can pop up that can distract you. So for me, that's that's a nice time just to kind of have to myself. And then from there, um, usually go to the rink and um, on a game day, we'll, we'll have the guys come in that aren't in high school and, and they'll go on the ice. Um, Usually I won't go on the ice on game days with the guys. Um, And I let our assistant coaches go on with them. And I definitely identify more as a manager than a coach. Um, And, you know, Like I said earlier, there's, there's definitely only so much time in a day. So splitting, um, you know, finding places where you can split your time and let your assistants do more. Um, Not only does it help empower them, I think as coaches and and give them the feeling of trust and confidence that you have in them um, and gets them excited about coming to the rink and coming to work. Um, But but for me, it also helps in freeing up some time to do other things, whether it's video scouting or making phone calls or doing stuff on the management side. Um, so I'll let them go on and um, you know do a pregame skate with the guys, and then there's a little bit of downtime there. Um, you know, usually go home and eat lunch and spend a little time with my family, and then uh, head back to the rink and uh, you know usually go over some video and look at look at some video. Um, you know, whether it's pre-scout or special teams or, or whatever, whoever we're playing that night. Um, and then, you know, meet with the coaches about, you know, what we're going to do and different things for the game and obviously play the game. And then on practice days, it's obviously a little different. Our guys come in for what we call morning club when they're not in high school and, uh, either go on the ice or get a workout in, um, in the morning. And then we all reconvene at the rink, uh, in the afternoon. So, um, you know, to go on the ice and practice as a team. Um, but I, I really try to give um, our assistant coaches as much um, work as possible. I, I know they enjoy that, but like I said, it also frees me up too. So I try not to micromanage. And I think that's a really important piece um, for an organization is, is we don't want to, you know, overcomplicate things and we don't want to micromanage and everyone feels like, you know, things have to be done a certain way. Cause I feel like that definitely trickles down to the players as well. Um, you know, it's, we want our guys, you know, at the rink to have fun and we want them to be learning, but you know, there's not a, a specific set way we have to do every single thing. And I think sometimes as coaches, and this is why I say, I, I identify more as a manager than a coach is, um, And sometimes when my coaching brain gets a little too, to going a little too much, my management brain, you know, looks at, looks over at my coaching brain and says like, Hey, Hey, take it easy. Like, like you don't have to control everything. And I think as coaches, sometimes we feel like we have to impact everything. We have to control everything. Um, we need to, we need to be in charge of everything. And I think, you know, it's really important to kind of let that go. Um, And because at the end of the day, the puck has to drop at some point and you can't go on the ice and you can't control every play and you can't control every single thing a guy does. So um, I think that's something that I really constantly, constantly remind myself of, um, especially once I started coaching is that you can't control everything. You have to let people do their jobs. You have to let the players play. Um, And that, like I said, that probably comes more from identifying more as a manager than a coach. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what a typical, typical day looks like, I would say. Yeah, I think the best thing about hockey
2: is that, you know, every day is a little bit different. And obviously, practice days are different from game days. And you got to have to be ready for different, uh, different things to come up and different age groups, etc. But uh, for you, you know, a lot of your uh, process throughout the game day, uh, you know, not going on to ice with practice, things like that come from being in that manager role. And, kind of seeing things from a different perspective. And one of the positions that you were able to go in for a brief time was uh, as a video coach at the U17 level. Uh, just talk about that brief opportunity and uh, maybe some of the things you learned uh, in that that you use today.
1: Yeah, that was, that was an interesting experience for me. It was, uh, I had originally applied to be, I think it was my first year actually I was coaching. And when you're in your first year and you're starting out, you're trying to get involved in as much things as you can, right? Because you're, you're learning and uh, you want to get your name out there. You want to, to learn more, learn from different people, get involved in different programs. So at that point, that's what I was trying to do. And I actually had applied to be an assistant coach on one of those teams. And um, without, you know, a- any experience, um basically, I think we're looking at it and going, well, we've got a bunch of more experienced assistant coaches, but if you want the video role, then we'd be happy to have you on the video role. So um, it wasn't exactly the role I was looking for, but again, you know, I thought about it and I said, well, you know what, it'll be a good experience. And um, at that point, I was doing a lot of the video for Kitchener um, and it was, we didn't have a video guy, but I was kind of the video guy and doing a lot of the video stuff. So I was pretty familiar with Um, doing lots of video and how it worked and stuff. So it wasn't too far out of my wheelhouse at at that point. And so I decided to to do it and it was definitely cool working with um, a lot of different coaches from, from different teams and different leagues. And it gave you a little bit of a perspective on different ways people think. And, um, you know, you got to meet a lot of different people, see a lot of different players, um, Overall, I, I didn't love the experience to be completely honest with you. Um, it's so hard. I, I found it, you know, being a video guy, you're not really, you're not on the ice. You're not really with the players much. And and for me, I think it was a pretty, uh, it was pretty obvious after those few weeks that being a strictly video guy for me was definitely not a career path that I wanted to go down. Um, and I think in like small tournaments like that, it's so hard to make an impact um you know especially as a video guy but even as a coach like you're with the players for such a short period of time and it's so hard to make an impact uh on the players and, and a lot of it is so much right place right time and luck and and things like that that um you know it was, it was a cool experience but it wasn't one I look back on and, and think like really really fondly of um and but but I got to meet a lot of different people, which was cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just it, I think it was also the, the first year that it was the three Canada teams, um, where they they grouped everyone together from all over Canada and kind of split up the teams, and it wasn't like a regionally focused tournament. Uh, and I found that to be a little weird. Um, like you know, we were you know, teammates, you know, if there was two Kitchener guys playing for Team Canada, one was on Team Canada White, one was on Team Canada Black. And um, it was just like a weird um, feeling. Like it wasn't, I get the sense that other international tournaments where there's one country, you know, there's one Canada, there's, there's one country um, involved that, you know, there, there would be a little bit more of a sense of like pride for your, country whereas i think in this tournament um that got lost a little bit because there were three canadian teams um and there wasn't like that regional pride where it would be like a team ontario coming together playing against the team quebec or a team pacific and really having that like pride because there was such a conglomerate of guys from kind of all over and some guys were playing their own teammates and it was just like a weird dynamic i thought but um overall i think any experience is good and um like i said i I definitely learned a lot um so definitely um there's something that i look back on and think you know it was it was definitely a good thing to do i think
2: yeah like you said any experience is a good experience and even if you learn what you don't want to do you know that can help you moving forward and uh just so many different ways to learn and uh, I know you've talked about your brother and your dad a couple times. Uh, your family's very involved in hockey, as many people know. Uh, just talk about maybe how their impact on helping you develop things like your hockey mind approach to the game, your drive, things like that, just being in a family that's, you know, so invested into the game.
1: Yeah, our family's definitely very hockey focused, uh, myself, my brother, my dad specifically. And my mom was kind of just along for the ride most of the time. And she obviously really likes the game too, but on a different, a bit of a different level than, than us three. So uh, I feel a little bit sorry for her at times uh, growing up, having to deal with how much hockey was involved and still dealing with it actually. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely, right from a young age, I mentioned it earlier on in the in as we were talking uh, very early in, in the interview, that. Uh, at a young age, my dad allowed me to tag along to a lot of different events, uh, whether it was World Juniors or Memorial Cups or uh, just NHL games or Stanley Cup finals. And for me, that really shaped my love uh, and passion for the game. And, uh, you know, there's lots of people that love the game. But for me, I was so lucky to be able to get kind of like a peek behind the curtain, I guess you can say, and, you know, get into see, you know, what was going on kind of hang tag along with my dad and we'd go out for dinner and run into, you know, NHL GMs or scouts, or, you know, you know, sitting in the hotel and you're talking with different people involved in the hockey community and you get to meet so many different people and learn from so many different people. And um, I think for me, that gave me, you know, more of a, a passion for wanting to get involved um, once I was done playing stay involved in hockey whether it was through coaching or or whatever um so it was uh yeah it was definitely a great opportunity and uh we have a really close family um we still have a close family but um it was great growing up with uh with the family I did and and being able to to make it a very hockey focused family I guess you could say
2: yeah so much that you can learn from those individuals and a lot of times in the game, you can learn from other people as well. And at My Hockey Resource, they think the same way. You know, they're a community on Discord which talks about different areas of the game, video coaching, coaching management, uh, so many different things. And uh, they feel like they have a place where everybody who's looking to grow in the game can come together. So, for anybody listening to the podcast and is looking for a community like that, be sure to check out My Hockey Resource on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, one of the things on my hockey resource that a lot of people also like is the section on books. And uh, as many people know, you're uh, an avid reader and a lot of times on social media, you'll share uh, different books that you like to read, things like that. So for you personally, what are some of your favorite uh, resources that you look to for new ideas?
1: Yeah, definitely. I really enjoy reading. Um, I, uh, for me, it's, it's just the, I, I think it's so cool that you can learn from other people and other resources. Um, and, you know, the curiosity, I, I think for most people, having that curiosity usually leads you to, you know, learning and, and growing and having that growth mindset. And for me, it's something I really enjoy um, and, and, have yeah, like like you said, I've I've put out a lot of different uh books that I've read and and usually I always regret doing that because I get so many replies um that it it becomes overwhelming a little bit. And um so many people reply with different books and then I'm looking at them and I have like 40 or 50 new books to read. My mind's spinning and racing because I, I'm i like, okay, which one do I I get to next? Oh, that one looks good, oh that one looks good, and there's so many good suggestions that I'm like, oh. I, I shouldn't have done this. Now I feel all uh, out of sorts and I don't know, don't know which one to start next, but um, yeah, I, I, I love reading. Uh, I like listening to podcasts a lot too. Um, I, I've listened to, to yours a fair bit. Um, you know, just being able to listen to other people's journeys um, not just in hockey either. Um, hockey's obviously, uh, you know, very interesting to me and, and my number one passion, but in a lot of different sports too. I really, I really enjoy getting into other sports and listening to other people in other sports and and hearing ways that uh, they're doing things and and how that's uh, how that's working in other sports and is there is there carryover to hockey is or not um, and also just in business in general and different people in businesses or organizations or or culture leadership roles that you can learn from or take tidbits from so um, yeah, there's definitely so many really good resources out there. Um, like I said, it's almost overwhelming at times where you go with, with it. Um, but there's definitely some books that have had, uh, really big impacts on me. I have read like a million really good books. Like I can list off a, a whole bunch of them, but for me, there's probably like four or five that really stand out. Um, and when I say standout, I mean, significantly has impacted the way I think and the way I act and the way I live my life and not just coach or anything, but like really um, from a macro perspective of, of like how you're going to live your life. Um, And, and, you know, that stuff obviously carries over into your, your day-to-day activities and actions of coaching and, and your job and things like that. but. Um, For me, uh, two books by Ryan Holiday. Uh, The first one is The Obstacle is the Way, and the second one is called Ego is the Enemy. Um, Those two really definitely change the way I think um, about a lot of things, especially challenges and things that pop up. Um, I would really recommend those ones. Um, Another one that really helped change the way I think uh, is called Thinking Fast and Slow. I'm sure a lot of people have read that one. Um, it's a pretty well-known book, but um, talking just about how your how your mind thinks, and um, you know, they call it heuristics in the book, I think, but you know, little tricks or biases that everyone's mind plays on them, and and using using data, logic, and um, different ways to to make decisions, and and where people go wrong when they make decisions, that really definitely changed the way I think. Um, Uh, And then uh, a book by, I'm sure everyone knows this guy, um, David Goggins. Uh, I recently read that like a few months ago. Um, And for anyone that doesn't know who he is, just look him up. He's a pretty well-known person, but he's a a former Navy SEAL, um, you know, that's gotten into kind of the motivational fitness world, I guess you could say. Um, But that, that one really, um, made me think a lot about my, my daily life. Uh, and you know, what are you getting out of your life? Like, what are you, are you really putting yourself where you want to be? Um, and I think that's hard for people sometimes is to like, like everyone has goals and things they want to do, but like when you look in the mirror and you look at yourself and you look at like how you structure your day, like, are you really doing enough, um, to reach your potential? And I think that book for me, I, I read it and I was like, "I was like, I can do more." Um, and you know, pushing the limits of of how much you're doing and how much, um, you know, work you're doing and things like that, um, I, I found that really, really interesting, and it really kind of changed the way I think about my my daily habits and daily life. Um, and then I'm actually halfway through a book right now. It's called Principles by Ray Ray Dalio. Um, and it's a pretty well-known and popular book too, but um, I'm only halfway through it right now, but I've really, really enjoyed. It. And I think that one will probably go on the list of um, really impactful books too. So those are probably four or five of the, the big ones for me that have really made a huge impact.
2: Yeah, I always love asking that question just because there really is an infinite number of books and you know, I, I have a list as well. And every episode I get another four or five. So I definitely know what you mean when you could be overwhelmed with a list of like, you know, 60, 70 books and it's starting to pile up. You don't know which way to go, but um, you know, it's, it's great to have those things to reference and, and learn from as well as, you know, people in your life. And uh, you talked about a number of them throughout this conversation, but maybe once again, just mentor, uh, talk about, sorry, the, uh, the few main mentors who have helped you thus far and,
1: you know, a couple of the major lessons that they taught you. I think for me, the biggest ones are, are definitely my family members, um, specifically my parents. And looking back on it, and now that I am a parent, um, it's definitely changed the way I think about um, my upbringing and how I was raised because now you've got, I've got two. But when you bring in kids to your, to your life, it definitely changes the way um, you think about things. And, and then you look back and think about all the things your parents did Um, for you and you don't really fully realize all the sacrifices they made and the lessons they taught you and and how hard being a parent is Um, you know it's not it's not an easy thing to do it's there's a lot of challenges there's a lot of frustrations Um, you know you obviously love your kids to death but um, they they test you and there's you know they take up time there's there's definitely challenges so um, I think for me, my parents are, are the two base ones, especially my dad. Um, he coached me growing up and um, from a hockey perspective, uh, you know, he was the one that really shaped a lot of the things um, uh, that I do, um, not just on the ice, but off the ice as well. And things like work ethic and um, taught me a lot of valuable lessons that I still um, have today and actually still use with our players. So um, I think, you know, those are the big ones for me um, in life and also hockey. Um, And outside of that, I I don't think there's any specific people to be honest with you, um, that I've really, you know, there's definitely people that I've, you know, grown up and, you know, throughout the process have learned a lot from and, and, you know, really have appreciated my interaction with them and they've taught me a lot of different things. Whether it be you know people in books or people I've worked with in Kitchener or people I've ran into along the way, um, so I'm not saying there isn't people, but um, for me, I, I put a pretty big premium on being you know authentic to who I am, and I think you know a lot of people trying to model. Um, you know, it's a a little bit of a debate between you know how is it good to model your behavior after someone? Um, you know, I. I I think yes and no. I think you can definitely learn a lot from different people and take those pieces and make them your own. But I think at the end of the day, you have to be yourself and you have to be authentic. And for me, what I try to do is take all the good pieces. I, I learned from, from people and um, whether, you know, books or people along the way and, and kind of morph it into my own and, and put it in my tool bag. And I think you can also learn too from, from people that do things, differently than you do or that you you know don't agree with even Um, and I found that you know growing up and especially playing hockey knowing that I was getting into coaching afterwards there was times where I would be playing and a coach would do something and you know in my own head I would think to myself would I do that or would I not do that and why And there was a lot of times where I was like, yeah, that I would definitely do that. That's a really important lesson. Like I could use that down the road, but there was a lot of, I looked at and I was like, I don't like that. He did that. Like, like that's something I would never do. Um, you know, so I think you can definitely take the positives and put them in your toolkit, but I think you can also take the negatives and the things that you see that you don't like and put those in your toolkit too, On almost way, ways not to act or, or things not to do. And I think those can be just as valuable sometimes. So um, it's really interesting, um, getting a little bit off topic now, but like when you say mentors and, and, pe- and taking things that you like from people, um, I think there's definitely value in, in seeing both sides of it too, even if you don't agree with what the person is saying. Um, And I think right now, um, in society, a lot of people look at it, and if someone says something they don't agree with, or don't believe in, their first reaction is to be like, that's stupid, you're an idiot, like, that's wrong. And I think if more people and something I try to do, um, that I found a lot of really smart people do, and even some of the books I've read, they've mentioned that they do is, even if you don't agree with someone's point of view, put yourself in their shoes and think about why they're saying it and kind of dissect it. And you still don't have to agree with it, but it'll give you a better understanding um, of where they're coming from. But also you can take it and go back and it'll give you a better understanding of what you believe in, too. So that's that's something I try to do and I think is important. Um when you're talking about, you know, mentors or things that you can learn from people or not learn from people.
2: Yeah, uh, a number of great points there. You know, Jack Han was a guest uh, a while back and he talked about anti-mentors and kind of the idea, like you said, of of learning things that you wouldn't do. And uh, I like how you took it another step then and said, even if you don't agree with it, kind of step in their shoes and and try to see why they think like that and, and maybe see You know, are they wrong and and maybe they should think differently or maybe you just don't see it for for how they do and things like that. It's all a learning process, but uh, definitely something that you can learn from people in the industry. Uh, As a final question here on the podcast today, uh, if you could go back maybe to yourself when you were playing or somebody in a similar position, what's one piece of advice that you would give them hoping that they would advance in coaching and hockey operations? I think the
1: biggest one is um, don't worry about the things you can't control. Um, like I said a, a bit earlier, uh, like there's so many things that aren't up to you, um, and that you can do all the right things. You can work, you know, work your hardest. Um, you know, you can do all the right things, make all the right decisions and something's just not going to work out for you. And I think, you know, that's, uh, that's something I've learned is that, you know, Worrying about things that you don't control is, is such a waste of time and energy um, that you could be otherwise doing other productive stuff with. So uh, I think, you know, that's the biggest one for me is just, you know, looking back on it, not worrying about things that I can control. And um, that would be probably my biggest piece of advice for someone getting into, uh, you know, playing hockey or, or into management or coaching in any sport i guess
2: yeah really focus your efforts on what you can control and and that's when the uh, the good things happen and the success comes uh, mike i just want to thank you again for joining me on the podcast today and i know uh, things aren't exactly where we want them to be right now in terms of the season and things like that but hopefully soon enough things are back on track and i wish you all the best moving forward
1: yeah thanks for having me
2: ryan all right take care
0: I'd like to thank Mike for joining me on the podcast and going through his career in such detail. From the moment we started talking, you could see the passion that Mike has for the game. So again, I'd like to thank him for sharing. If you would like to get in touch with Mike to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact Hockey Minds Podcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Colby Drost, president and founder of Parion Sports Consulting. With a background heavy in scouting and other hockey operations roles, Colby has an interesting dynamic to offer, so you will want to listen in on that conversation. Once again, thank you everyone for listening, and thank you for the support across our various platforms in 2020. We're hoping to grow to new heights in 2021, and we hope to see you all on the ride. As always, stay safe, and all the best.